Hey, Venture, it's great to see you today. I see some of you are here in the room, and I am sure there's some of you that are joining us online. I'm so glad that you chose to worship together with us today. So we are continuing in a two-week, we'll call it a mini-series. It's called The Paradox of Thanksgiving. And I don't know about you, but I feel like I've blinked. I think yesterday was the 4th of July. There was a Memorial Day, maybe a Labor Day in there somewhere. This is Thanksgiving week. I'm curious, how many of you uh, are going to be traveling for Thanksgiving? Yeah. How many of you are hosting somebody in your house Thanksgiving? I've got to do it like this because we're going to do both. We're going to do our annual whirlwind tour of the Midwest that starts on uh, early Thursday morning. Looking forward to that. How many of you are a traditionalist? You, uh, oh, hands are up already. I didn't even qualify it. I love that. So uh, with the meal. You want the turkey, and you're going to bake it the way God intended. How many of you stick a turkey in the oven? Okay. How many of you, the way God really intended it, enjoy frying your turkey? Am I the only one? My son's got his hand in the air. I got it. Okay. All right. All right. The trash bag turkey, anybody do that? Or smoke your turkey or fun? Yeah. All right. Good stuff. How many of you um, dismiss the turkey? and you say, we're gonna do something different like a ham or something, I see a few of those hands up in the air. The day after Thanksgiving, we're gonna host my family. I'm smoking a brisket. I could skip Thanksgiving for that meal. I could, that might be enough for me right there. All right, so this week is Thanksgiving. The series that we've been in, we call it the paradox of Thanksgiving. Last week, if you were here last week, if you weren't, go back and watch it online. I promise you it's worth it. Uh, our own John Vance, uh, the title of his message was Ungrateful Even in Good Times. And you met a character, Mr. Ungrateful, and he talked about that, and there was some fun and some silliness with that. And we're looking at this through a paradoxical lens. Ungrateful even in good times. Conversely, today we're gonna talk about how to be grateful even in hard times. Because I know, I know that some of us are wrestling with some stuff right now. I had a conversation with some folks in our church just this past week that were telling me, listen, we're like T minus one week before we're supposed to be gathering and our family still can't figure out exactly how we're gonna do this. You know, our kids maybe are like trying to guard us from this virus thing and we wanna gather everybody together but we're not sure if we're gonna get to do that and are people gonna wear masks? And, some of you, your families, you're wrestling through this tension. It feels like, like hard times. Today we're going to lean into that. What's it mean to be grateful in that? I wonder sometimes. And I found myself thinking about this message, gearing up for today. I've been wondering if the Apostle Paul, if you're fairly new to faith, our New Testament, a good chunk of the New Testament of the Bible is written by a guy by the name of Paul. We call him the Apostle Paul. They're letters that he wrote back to churches that he had planted. For example, there's a church in Thessalonica, and he wrote a letter, a couple of them that we have, First and Second Thessalonians. Then he wrote like to Corinth, and those letters that survive are First and Second Corinthians, and this is a part of our, our New Testament Bible. Well, if you read those, when he writes back to Thessalonica, he's encouraging them, and when he writes to Corinth, well, he's kind of spanking them, like there's some discipline in those letters. And I just wonder if the Apostle Paul were writing letters today to the American church, would it be Thessalonians, encouragement, or Corinth, some discipline maybe? I don't know. I sat down this past week 
with a sweet couple in our church. If you've been around Venture for a while, you probably know this couple. They've seen some stuff. They've lived for a while. They've got some of life's experiences to share with you about how to be grateful even in hard times because they've lived through some. Do I have your attention? Check this out. Hey, Venture. I get to visit today uh, with a sweet couple that is a part of our church. Um, Earl and Alice Jones have been, how long have you guys been at Venture? Well, Since it opened. We, we did go to uh, Woodland Springs too, but we weren't members. That's amazing. When they started 10 years. That's amazing. Yeah. That's amazing. They've been joining us virtually for the most part mm -hmm. uh, for the last 18 months, year and a half, yes. as long as this crazy years. part of the mm -hmm. world we're living in time that we're living in right now has been happening. And it, it's been my privilege to get to visit with them here in the afternoon, here in their home. And I want you to hear some of their story as well. Can I just sit down and have sure, a conversation? Sure, sure. Amen. All right. First of all, you've been married for how many years? 40, 44 years. We met through my boss at the school where I worked. I was the custodian at Lawrence. And uh, he asked me if I had a boyfriend because when I moved up here, I was divorced. Okay. And uh, so I said no. And he said, well, I got somebody I'd like you to meet. I was driving the school bus at Lawrence at the time. Her boss and his wife were both drivers at uh, Lawrence. So we all kind of run, in, run around together, and then we just met that way. So, Earl, you're 93 years old, am I right? Yes. You were born in 1928. My math isn't great. My history is not much better, but that puts you, your early childhood, during the Great Depression. Didn't have electric lights, didn't have running water, or until I was seven, when I went to the Masonic home, I, uh, I never really lived with my family, yeah. except for the first two years. 35, 1935, we went to the home. They had a steam whistle there that it blew at six o'clock for us to get up and get ready for breakfast, and we ate at seven, 12, and five every day. We probably had it much better than the kids that were in their own homes. You know, people were really struggling and we, ne we never missed a meal. My dad worked at Crane or Burn City, they called it back I know, then. I know Crane. Okay. Yeah. My dad worked, yeah. yeah. Dad and mom worked there both. Both of them did. They was making powder back then. I can remember him coming home and having this yellow powder all over him. Huh. But uh, we lived out in the country there. But, but almost to Lenton, and uh, I remember walking up to the neighbors. To, she, this old lady gave us uh, milk and uh, eggs and things because we had a large family, and she was very nice, and she'd, we'd walk up the hill there to her house, and she'd give us this food. We didn't have anything back then, but we still got to go to church in Swift City, and I can remember going to church ever since I can remember. I was working for $3.10 an hour. I can remember very few times that I had a meal through the week. 
unless somebody else bought it for me. It was, uh, I'd weighed about 200 pounds when I went to work there at the store. And uh, when I left and met, met Earl, I weighed 125 pounds. God always has taken care of me. Because mom would always, you know, what we didn't learn in the church, she'd always say, well, you, and she'd say, well, if you get scared, just pray. Or she said, you can always sing. So we know I could sing on the way home. The, the song, Great is Thy Faithfulness, comes to my mind. Oh, that, that's a good one. Looking back, I have been so blessed. The Lord has just been with us all of my life with the different events. And my father was 66 when I was born. He was born when Lincoln was president in 1862. So your your life, your parents' lives, uh, my goodness, uh, you know, there, there are stories here of Civil War, of World War One, World War Two, the Depression, the Roaring Twenties, the Korean War, Vietnam, this weird era we've been living through globally the last couple of years. Well, he's never failed. He's uh, always been there, and no matter what we're facing, even though maybe we don't realize it in our own mind at the time, we we know that we can depend on him being true. Uh, he gives us hope. Boy, we need to be faithful because the world is in a mess. Without his help, there's... We might as well just forget it. But he's going to have, he's going to have his say. Maybe not today or tomorrow, but it's, he's in control. Sure he is. Yes, Earl and Alice, I'm sure are joining us online today. Could we just show them thankfulness? Can we show gratitude for sharing their story? Yeah, a couple of things in that. First of all, many of you know Alice. And you probably, like me, miss her hugs. She's a hugger. She would hug me in the lobby. First thing on Tuesday afternoon, walked into her house. She was playing the hostess, and she gave me a big old hug. I miss her hugs. Second, did you, uh, did you catch? I, I heard kind of the murmur through the space. Did you catch? Were you doing the math in your head there? When Earl said his dad was born during the Civil War, when Abraham Lincoln was president. Here's the thing. Earl shared his age with me. He's 93 years old. I think he was born in like 1928, I think he said. My math isn't great. But his dad was 66 when he was born. You add all of those numbers together and kind of do a probability likelihood. I bet he might be the only person today that can make that statement that his dad was born during the Civil War. And you think about his life's shared experiences, stories he heard from his dad, things that he's lived through himself. I can't think of anybody else that I've ever met who's more qualified to talk about God's faithfulness, to talk about how God has shown up, has proven himself to be faithful over and over and over again. He's seen it with his own two eyes. He's heard about it even all the way back to the Civil War with his own two ears. They've seen some stuff, Earl and Alice. They've lived through some stuff. They have grateful hearts because, did you catch, we talked about it for quite a bit, just a little bit of it made it on camera. We talked about that great old hymn, Great is Thy Faithfulness. 
I love that hymn. I grew up singing that myself as a kid. I recently did a wedding with a beautiful young couple in our church, and we talked about aiming for that era of life, Earl and Alice. If you're young, if you're newly married, or maybe you're aiming at marriage, that right there is your goal. That kind of a longevity, a life faithfully lived and served before God, that is what we're aiming for. May God, may those who come before us and those who come behind us find us faithful. That song, Great is Thy Faithfulness. Maybe you don't know that beautiful old hymn of the church. This is, these are the words of that hymn. Great is thy faithfulness, O God, my Father. There's no shadow of turning with thee. Thou changest not thy compassions, they fail not. As thou hast been, thou forever will be. Great is thy faithfulness. Great God is your faithfulness. Here's the line. Morning by morning, new mercies I see. I wonder if you know that that's a line almost straight from Scripture. All I have needed, thy hand has provided. Great is thy faithfulness, Lord, unto me. By the way, I was curious, so I did the research. The guy who wrote that hymn, and I think that hymn was written and released to the church in 1923, but the guy who wrote it, get this, he was born a few years after Earl's dad was born. How cool is that stat? How do we get there, though? How do we get to the space where we're authentically, honestly able to say, great is your faith. Morning by morning, new mercies I see. How do we get there? In spite of difficulty, how do we live with grateful hearts? I'm glad you asked. We've got the perfect document to be our guide, because if you're taking notes today, write this truth down. Much of the Bible is written in the context of hard-won, difficult gratefulness. A whole bunch of the Bible comes out of the context of people who had a hard time being grateful, I suspect. At least the circumstances that they lived in, oh my goodness, they seemed hard to me. Much of the Bible is written in difficult gratefulness. This past week I was reminded of this. I spent some time about a week and a half ago in Honduras don't miss next Sunday, by the way. Next weekend, we're going to be doing another one of those where in the world messages. This time, it's from Honduras, and I spent some time with some of our missionaries down there. Let me, let me just say this. God is alive and well and doing some amazing things in Honduras, and I can't wait for you to join us in on that next week. This week, though, Felipe Colby, one of our missionaries down there, he shared a video that he recorded from a place that I've discovered. I love it. I sat there and did some morning coffee time and some evening conversation time, both with God and with some of the people that I was there with uh, in the morning, sunrises and sunsets in the evening. He filmed kind of a time-lapse sunrise from that location. Check this out. This is overlooking the city of Tegucigalpa, which happens to be the capital of Honduras. And it's just gorgeous. He attached this and he shared it on social media and he included a passage of scripture with it. Really, great as thy faithfulness comes out of that passage of scripture. And I wonder how many of you, when I say morning by morning new mercies I see, can you quote chapter and verse? Or can you guess where in the Bible maybe that that's coming from? If you're anything like me, I didn't have it right. 
I had to go back and look it up because I was thinking like unicorns and butterflies, you know, new mercies I see. God, this is the mountaintop experience. But the context of the passage of Scripture that we're getting to look, ready to look at, these are difficult, hard-won gratefulness because of the context that this passage comes out of. If you've got your Bible with you, go ahead and grab it and open it up to Lamentations chapter 3, verses 22 and 23. This is the passage that Felipe attached to that video, The Sunrise, you just saw. This is what it says. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. His mercies are new every morning. That's that line from the song. Some of us probably have this verse as a scripture picture and we hang it up in, on the wall in our office or in our uh, house and maybe we don't realize there's some hard-won difficulty, gratefulness that comes out of the context of this passage. These mercies are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. But have you ever read before or after this verse. Well, let's just keep reading. Let's see the context that this pulls out of. Actually, I'm going to skip. Okay, Jeremiah, the weeping prophet, is who wrote that passage. We're going to read the rest of it, but before we do that, I want to jump back to another misquoted passage of Scripture. Jeremiah is also the author of Jeremiah. Look what he says in Jeremiah chapter 29, verse 11. He says, for I know the plans I have for you. We probably have this one on the wall, right? This is one of those passages we talk an awful lot in our prosperity Christian subculture. I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you. I want that, right? I'm willing to stand in line Black Friday to get something cheap that I really want because prosperity, that sounds good to me. Not to harm you, plans to give you hope. I want hope and a future. Then you will call upon me and come and pray to me, and I will listen to you. We oftentimes grab this one straight out of context. We put it up on the wall, and we make it about rainbows and butterflies. But have you ever really looked at the context of this passage? Let's just keep reading. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. I'm on board. I will be found by you, declares the Lord, and I will bring you back. Well, wait a minute, what? Captivity? That doesn't sound like a Black Friday sale. That doesn't sound like something that I want to sign up for. I will gather you from all the nations. By the way, you've been scattered to the four corners of the globe. And places where, notice the first person here. God is saying, I have, big word, banished you. God is saying, listen, I have punished you. What? Not rainbows and butterflies anymore, declares the Lord, and will bring you back to the place which I carried you into exile. Again, first person, he's saying, I did this. Exile, that doesn't sound good. And from where? Well, this is the context that the passage of Scripture, by the way, hang on to Lamentations chapter 3. We're coming back to that, and we're going to look at that whole chapter here in just a second. But uh, what's right before what we just read, if you go just a few verses before that plans to prosper you, plans to give you a hope and a future, this is what Jeremiah says at the beginning of uh, chapter 29, verse 10. This is what the Lord says. When 70 years are completed for Babylon, you talk about the belly of the beast, he's saying you're going to be in exile. I am banishing you, disciplining you because I love you. He's telling the nation of Israel, 70 years 
that's a lifetime. Maybe not for guys like Earl, who make it to 93 and counting, but for many of us, 70 years, that's a lifetime. He's saying, you're going to be in exile. I'll come to you and fulfill my gracious promise to bring you back to this place. What place? Jerusalem, God's holy city. We're going to look at that here in a second. For I know the plans I have for you, and then the verse goes on, plans to prosper you, plans not to harm you, plans to give you a hope and a future. But do you see the context? We pull that out of its context and we make it about American prosperity and we've completely missed the point. It's in the middle of some hard-won discipline. His mercies are new every morning. Great is thy faithfulness. There's a context to this. Jeremiah is talking about difficult, hard-won gratitude times. What happened? Oh, not much. Just their entire way of life and their entire mode of worship was destroyed. Jeremiah had a front row seat to the destruction of his culture. He had a a front row seat to the holy city of Jerusalem destroyed and and desolation even of the, the temple was destroyed. Solomon's temple was destroyed and Jeremiah probably saw it with his own eyes. This is the way that God's people knew how to approach God, the way he had taught them how to worship, how to receive forgiveness, how to show gratefulness and thanksgiving. Just like our Thanksgiving holiday is birthed in an origin story, your mercies are new every morning. Well, it had its own origin story, right? They had a a bit of a thanksgiving in their culture. It was called Sukkah. This is one of the three pilgrimages, the festivals that uh, the nation of Israel would do. They would journey to Jerusalem, and this this one was about thanksgiving. Well, the temple has just been destroyed, and it's gone now. So they didn't get to have thanksgiving that year. Let me catch you up on what had happened. So in uh, 586, Nebuchadnezzar, king of the Babylonians, came in and absolutely destroyed Jerusalem. But to catch the whole story, you got to go back, oh, about 130 years before that, in 722, Sennacherib, king of Assyria, Assyria, came in and just leveled the northern tribes. You've heard of the lost tribes of Israel, perhaps? That's when it happened. And I could show you photos of places that they have uncovered over the last uh, several, maybe the last 100 years or so. Archaeology has discovered Those stories are borne out in archaeology as we dig stuff up, including this city. This is Lachish. This is one of the uh, kind of uh, outpost cities that Solomon built to guard the nation of Israel, guard the interior. And when the king of Assyria in 722, Sennacherib, came and destroyed the 12 tribes, the the, the, the northern tribes, the 11 tribes, uh, he uh, uh, built a siege ramp here. You're looking at that to roll up the siege machines to surround this city and to take it, that's exactly what happened to Jerusalem. And Jeremiah lived through it. You go just a couple generations before that moment in 586, you've got a guy by the name of Hezekiah who was king and living in Jerusalem. He did this Iron Age, like like amazing uh, technology uh, and innovation for his day, They started digging here, and they started digging here outside the wall of the city, and they connected the Gihon Springs to the Pool of Siloam. And so inside of a siege warfare situation, they would have at least fresh water inside the city. Here's a picture of the inside of Hezekiah's Tunnel. My lovely wife standing there posing as we were hanging out in that space several years ago. 
So Jeremiah now is living inside of Jerusalem. It is under siege. Uh, Nebuchadnezzar's army is there, and I don't mean to be graphic. They had water, but two years the city is surrounded. How long do you think before all the dogs had been eaten? How long before Thanksgiving doesn't feel quite like the excess you and I are getting ready to experience? Two years. This is the birth. This is the context of his mercies are new every morning. Great is thy faithfulness. Let me say it again. Much of the Bible is written in the context of difficult gratefulness. So with Thanksgiving approaching, maybe with news of COVID numbers increasing, I'm sure that there's some families that are having angsty conversations right now. How, how do we live grateful even in hard times? I'm glad you asked. How do we live out passages of Scripture that are even meant to be commands to us, right? Ephesians chapter 5, verse 20 says, Always give thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. How about 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 16 and following, which says, Be joyful always. Not some of the time. Always. Pray continually. Give thanks in all circumstances. Thanksgiving is meant to be a year-long holiday for the believer. For this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. How do we live this out? Well, we're going to grab four practical pieces of advice, encouragement, four challenges from Jeremiah. We're going to grab these from Lamentations chapter 3. If you've got your Bible, go ahead and open it up to Lamentations chapter 3. Here's the first piece of practical advice he would give you. Converse constantly. Now, I'm being a little bit cute here with alliteration. Converse constantly. Let's put that into real English. Here's what he would say. Have a conversation. Are you talking to God? Are you having a difficult time feeling grateful, living out gratefulness, thankfulness? Well, are you talking to your God? Let's back up. Before mercies are new every morning, before great is thy faithfulness, that passage of Scripture, let's start beginning reading at the beginning of chapter 3 of Lamentations. If you've got your Bible, go ahead and pull that out. I'm going to read it. The heading in my Bible says, great is your faithfulness. That's the title, the heading for the entire chapter, chapter 3 of Lamentations. Listen to this conversation that Jeremiah is having with God. I'm the man who has seen affliction under the rod of his, who's his? God's, his wrath. He used Nebuchadnezzar, but remember God had already said, this is about me, guys. I am banishing you. I'm sending you to exile in Babylon. And he's just having this conversation. Jeremiah is having this conversation with God. He's driven and brought me into darkness without any light. I live in a dark space. Do you see the raw honesty in this conversation he's having with God? Surely against me, he, God, turns his hand again and again the whole day long. He's made my flesh and my skin waste away. He's broken my bones. He has besieged. Remember, two years they surrounded the city. They had water, but they didn't have food for two years. He's besieged and enveloped me with bitterness and tribulation. 
He's made me dwell in darkness like the dead of long ago. He's walled me about so that I cannot escape, and he's made my chains heavy. Though I call and I cry for help, he shuts out my prayer. He's blocked my ways with blocks of stones, and he's made my paths crooked. He's a bear. Here's a word picture. Lying in wait for me, a lion in hiding. He turned aside my, st- uh, turned aside my steps and tore me to pieces. He's made me desolate. You talk about an honest conversation with God. Jeremiah, the weeping prophet, he just bears his soul here, right? Here's another word picture. He bent his bow and set me as a target for his arrow. He drove into my kidneys the arrows of his quiver. I've become the laughingstock of all peoples, the object of their taunts all day long. He filled me with bitterness and sated me with wormwood. He's made my teeth grind on gravel. He's made me cower in ashes. My soul is bereft of peace. Maybe you feel some kindred spirit to Jeremiah today. He says, I've forgotten what happiness is. And I say, my endurance has perished. So has my hope from the Lord. Remember my affliction and my wanderings, the wormwood and the gall. My soul constantly remembers it and is bowed down within me. But it's almost like we see a light switch get flipped here. In the middle of this conversation, as he's honestly sharing his heart with his creator, it's like God reminds him of truth. I would argue this is the Holy Spirit whispering in his ear. He says this, but this I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. I'm reminded of the truth. Here it is, the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. His mercies are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. Great is thy faithfulness is birthed out of an honest conversation with God. So don't let not knowing what to say keep you from incorporating prayer into your life. We just saw Jeremiah model that. Speak with God like you would speak with a friend. Invite him into your home and share your daily worries and your questions and your musings and your wonderings. Share those things with him. When I interviewed, really just kind of hung out with Earl and Alice this past week. There was a moment where the, the videotaping was done, we were packing up that gear, and I was just kind of sitting there with Earl, and Alice was kind of doing the hostess duties. She was making sure we had something to drink. She's, she's a sweetie. And Earl kind of leaned over to me. He said, you know, these are my words, not his, but he was basically saying, she's amazing. I could see the love on his face. And he said, you know, there are times I go to bed, and Alice stays up for like 45 minutes, and she's talking with God. He said, she's praying for me. She's praying for our church. She's praying for people that she knows, that she loves, that maybe she's worried about. She's casting her cares upon God because he cares for her. She's praying. She's having a conversation with God. Conversing constantly, I would argue, yields gratefulness. And here's this sweet woman in her 80s, oozing gratefulness. I think it's because there's a constant conversation going on there with her creator. But what we're aiming for here is real conversation, honest conversation. God doesn't really want your fake thanksgivings. As we write down practical advice from Jeremiah from Lamentations chapter 3, write down this second piece of advice. Not only are we aiming for conversing constantly, but feel feelings. 
What's that mean? Well, don't hide what you feel. Certainly from God, he already knows what you're wrestling with. Can I remind you of Jeremiah? Jeremiah was known as the weeping prophet. He felt deeply. And my guess is he earned that nickname, the weeping prophet. I bet he came by that honestly. He felt his feelings, and he wasn't afraid to let others know. Let me remind you of what we just read, Lamentations chapter 3. The first line says, I am the man who has seen affliction. Skip down just a verse or two. He's made my flesh and my skin waste away. He's broken my bones. Physically, he's feeling angst. And then emotionally, there's some hurt here as well. He has besieged and enveloped me with bitterness and tribulation. He's feeling his feelings, and he's letting God know. He's made my chains heavy a few verses later. A few verses after that, he's filled me with bitterness. Just a few verses behind that, remember my affliction and my wonderings. My soul continually remembers it and has bowed down within me. Jeremiah didn't hide what he felt. Talking to God like a friend means being honest about your feelings. He already knows what's in your heart, but telling him honestly how we feel will help us focus our emotions and address issues that we're having trouble, maybe even dealing with ourselves. It's a way to strengthen our relationship with God. That line that we just read He's made my flesh and my skin waste away. I think Jeremiah meant that literally, two years under siege warfare. I bet he lost. I bet that was a pretty significant weight loss strategy. This past week, though, this is trivial, but this past weekend, I actually hung out in the woods with my brothers and my son and my nephew. We went hunting together. And I don't know if you've noticed that this is no-shave November around here. Some of the dudes in our church are not scraping their face with a razor. It's, there's some good camaraderie. It's kind of fun. It's kind of silly. And that's, that's enough to have some fun. And I, I was remembering this past week, I don't know if you remember Duck Dynasty. I don't remember if it was Uncle Cy or Phil Roberts. And one of them, I remember them saying... I didn't grow a beard. God did that. I just stopped scraping it off every morning. That's a pretty good line. I think I'll I'll use that. But I've been doing that this month. It's been about four years since I have grown a beard or stopped scraping it off my face. And I don't know if it's COVID or just old age. My beard is a little bit more gray than it used to be. And I've been feeling this and I've been noticing this. And uh, this past weekend, actually, um, I've got two brothers And uh, I kept joking with them, we're going to take a stage of the beard photograph. I'm four years older than my brother Mike. He's four years older than our baby brother Chris. We call him Topher. But if you'll notice here, we've got a little bit of gray. We've got some gray. And we've got Father Time. (laughs) I could start moonlighting as Santa Claus, maybe. They were poking at me all weekend long. There's been some good kind of camaraderie and kind of, uh, by the way, I was successful in my deer hunting. Most of you don't want to see that. If you want to see that, come find me afterwards. I'll share that with you. I cropped that photograph strategically. But all weekend long, I was feeling, oh, man, I, I, I see time. I see it happening. And so my birthday actually is the anniversary of my, my mom's uh, funeral. Mom died when I was 16. Her funeral was on my 17th birthday. And every year on my birthday, I feel not just the passage of time, but I I feel a little bit of that loss. And I'm reminded that we're here for a temporary time. My flesh and my skin 
waste away. I know that sounds trivial, but I, I was just kind of thinking about that. But saying it out loud and joking with my brothers and confessing it to God, yeah, my beard's getting a little bit of gray in it. So what? Lean into that. Because feeling feelings yields gratefulness. I believe it does. Here's the third piece of practical advice from Jeremiah, Limitations chapter 3. Think thanks. Not just conversing constantly, not just feeling the feelings, but thinking thanks. And oh, by the way, then saying it as well. To put it in plain English, start by saying thanks. As you think about this week of Thanksgiving, start by saying thanks. Today's prayers are often Well, they start with what we want, or they start with what we think we need from God. We rarely thank him for the gifts that he's already given us. By the way, we're getting ready to spend some time thanking him. We're getting ready to spend some time feeling feelings as we gather around the table that he's prepared for us. Start thinking about those things right now that you're going to share with him as you gather around the Lord's table together with your brothers and sisters in Christ. Instead of leaving our thanks until last or not at all, start your prayers, I would challenge you, with gratitude for the Lord's gifts. Let's keep reading this conversation between Jeremiah and with God. The verse that we're kind of anchoring in, the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. His mercies are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. But let's keep reading, shall we? I don't have this on the screen. Just listen to these words. As Jeremiah not just thinks thanks, but he says it. He's thanking God out loud. The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore, I will hope in him. The Lord is good to those who wait for him, to the soul who seeks him. It is good that one should wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. It is good for a man that he bear the yoke of his youth. Let him sit alone in silence when it is laid on him. Let him put his mouth to the dust that there may yet be hope. Let him give his cheek to the one who strikes. Jesus talked about turning the other cheek, right? Actually, Jesus quoted Jeremiah quite a bit. There may yet be hope. For the Lord will not cast off forever. But though he cause grief, he will have compassion according to the abundance of his steadfast love. Can you just feel, can you just see the thankfulness underneath those words? For he does not afflict from his heart or grieve the children of men. Last weekend it was good just to take a deep breath. Creation fuels me. And his mercies are new every morning. Great is thy faithfulness. Morning, sunrise, evening, sunset, I was reminded of the natural rhythms of life, including, this is something I like to do just about every year. I go down to that space and I spend some time there and I see sunrises and sunsets. And every year we see this natural phenomenon happening. There's like I don't even know. I want to say a million birds. Like, I don't know what a million birds looks like, but at least thousands, I'm, hundreds of thousands of these birds that swarm. This year we pulled out Google and we did a little research. We think it's the common grackle and it's this swarming bird and there's just a ton of them. So many that like, like when you're sitting in a tree, they land on the tree and then something startles them and they all fly away. It's enough to like make an oak tree sway. They also like go to the bathroom and 
that rains down on you as well. But do you see that swarm of birds there and just kind of looking at that and thinking about sunrise and sunset and the natural rhythms of life and that the creator God who doesn't let them worry, how much more does he want me not to worry, right? Thinking about that God, oh my goodness, it sustains me. It makes me feel grateful. It makes me feel thankful. And thinking thanks and praying, thanking God, saying thank you, this yields gratefulness. The last piece of advice from Jeremiah. Lamentations chapter 3, not only do we need to, let's put that up on the screen there. Let's go uh, back to, uh, there we go. We converse constantly, we feel feelings, we think thanks, waste worry. I don't mean waste like, you know, throwing away what's left over on your plate this Thanksgiving. I mean like take the plate and scrape it off before you sit down to eat. That kind of waste, deliberate, waste it. Waste worry. In other words, let God take away your worries. Let's go back to that often misquoted, that often miscontext passage of Scripture in Jeremiah chapter 29, verse 11. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you, not to harm you, plans to give you a hope and a future. Then you will call upon me and come and pray to me, and I will listen to you. We pull that out of context, and oftentimes we make it about living in America today. But could I suggest to you that for 70 years of exile, I bet, I bet that passage was an anchor for a generation's soul. I'm not going to leave you here. There's hope. There's a vision of a preferred future. Hang on, church. Hang on. And then Jesus. A few hundred years after this, this itinerant preacher gathers together with his disciples and some of his extended followers around the Sea of Galilee just north of where the temple gets rebuilt. And he says things like, don't worry. Well, let's look at that passage. It comes to fruition here in Matthew chapter 6 in the Sermon on the Mount. So don't worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will bring its own worries. Today's trouble is enough for today, those birds, those sunrises. Oh, if I take care of the bees, if I take care of the flowers, the lilies of the field, if I take care of these birds, how much more does the Father care for you? Don't worry. Waste worry. COVID numbers, we hear news of spiking numbers. Maybe you've got a big deadline at work. Maybe you've got health concerns. You've just got a bad report from the doctor. Maybe you've got some kid stuff that you're wrestling through right now. Well, the next time you worry... Ask God to take that worry. Waste worry. Scrape it off the plate even before you sit down. We're not alone anymore. Once we invite God into our lives, we no longer must struggle with worry by ourselves. And I would argue, wasting worry yields gratefulness. We're going to lean into a time right now where we gather together around the Lord's table. We do this every week. But a week where we're intentionally thinking about thankful hearts and we're getting ready to just lean into a thankful spirit. I think this is a pretty important time. And could I encourage you, the Bible is it's birthed, these stories that we read out of times where it's difficult to have grateful hearts. 
We talked about that a bit ago. Another passage, 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 6. It's birthed in a similar circumstance. Maybe this is the attitude, the posture we should take right now as we lean into communion. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you in due time. Casting all your cares, casting all your worries, waste your worry on him. Why? Because he cares for you. Be sober and self-controlled. Be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, walks around like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. Uh, Withstand him steadfast in your faith, knowing that your brothers who are in the world are undergoing the same sufferings. It was encouraging to me to sit down with Alice, to sit down with Earl, to hear their stories of God's faithfulness. God was faithful to his people during the Civil War. God was faithful to his people during the Great Depression. God was faithful during those war years. God's faithful today. Would you lean into that truth right now? Would you, as you spend some time before God, the creator God of the universe, maybe I need to remind you of the lyrics of that song we talked about. Great is thy faithfulness, O God, my Father. There's no shadow of turning with thee. Thou changest not thy compassions, they fail not as you've been, you're going to forever be. Great is thy faithfulness. Great is thy faithfulness morning by morning. Ah, new mercies I see. I've seen the world, Jeremiah. The world as I knew it came crashing to the ground. But the sun still comes up. A new day still dawns. Morning by morning, new mercies I see. All I've needed, thy hand has provided. Great is thy faithfulness, Lord, unto me. And when I see that, ah, it yields a grateful heart. We're going to spend some time right now leaning into the words of another great old hymn, Count Your Blessings. Name them one by one. Let's start right now by doing that. Just bow your heads. I'll give you just a bit of time. Don't take your elements yet. We're going to do that here in a minute. But just right now, spend some time thinking grateful thoughts. Thank God for the good stuff in your life. Let's do that right now. When you came in today, there was uh, communion elements on the seat. I'm going to invite you right now to grab those and to pull them out. As you think about God's faithfulness, here's the deal. When we recognize God's faithfulness in our lives, this should yield our gratefulness. God's faithfulness should yield our gratefulness. So we're going to spend some time right now If you can't think of what to be grateful for, well, start with the elements that you're holding that represent his body broken, his blood shed. And when you're ready, you take those elements into yourself and you recognize the truth that God loves you that much. Be grateful for that. And to start there 
and then count your blessings and name them one by one. I'm going to leave you to do that right now on your own. And then we're going to respond with worship and we're going to sing to our God and tell him how much we love him. But right now, would you bow your heads? Would you close your eyes? Let's pray. God, I thank you. I thank you for your faithfulness. Time and time again, you prove yourself to be faithful. We don't deserve it, but we're grateful. And we tell you about that from our hearts right now. In your name, in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.